Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theater. I am your panel host, once again, Mackenzie, also general assistant of Cup of Hemlock for the time being. Uh, so we are doing today uh, John Caird's production of Love's Labor Lost, which is a very kind of not done very often comedy of the Shakespeare canon. Uh, but they, we're going to talk about it today and kind of get into what it's all about. Joining me, as always, is our literary manager, uh, Ryan Barakovich. Ryan, welcome back for another episode. Always a pleasure. Yes. What is in your cup today? Uh, so in my cup, same as always, is Orange Pico tea. Oh. But I have a more interesting looking mug today. Uh, this, so friends would know that I'm a big Monty Python fan. And this mm-hmm. mug has a lot of just various Monty Python quotes. I don't know how uh, well you yeah, can there see it over yes. there. And yes. some of the Terry Gilliam illustrations all over. So yeah, Beautiful. I thought it was fitting for a comedy that we were doing today. I think that is quite fitting. That is wonderful. Uh, we next have our friend of the company, and I have to say, probably our most frequent guest of, of the series so far, Ms. Jill. Jill, welcome back. Hello, Mackenzie. How are you? Very good. Very good. good. What is in your cup today? And what is your ensemble? Right. Have to, I, that is now my brand, toe. I guess. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I'm wearing a bit of a frou-frou French-esque inspired top, which okay. we'll get into later. Um, and then my earrings, they have little feathers tacked on at the bottom, you know, just to Very pay good. homage to all the quills and the lovely writing that we see in this piece. And then wow. in my cup, I have some tea tonight from David's Ooh. Tea. It's their sweetheart tea that uh, was really popular around valentine's day and it tastes exactly like sweet tart so it tastes delicious and again paying homage to all the love that we witnessed in this production very good and we have a new wonderful guest another friend of the company as well as one of our frequent contributors to our playbook club miss katie katie hello hi <laughs> thanks so much for having me thank you for coming on this will be your yeah. first appearance but there will be others coming down the road on this series. So we're so happy that you yeah. came to join us for this one. This is quite a treat. Thanks. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so honored mm-hmm. that y'all asked me to be here. So yeah, this is great. <laughs> Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Kate, what's your background on Shakespeare? So it's, it's, like, you didn't I ask what's in her cup first, Meg. Oh, that's true. You're Sorry. slipping. I, I, I know. I've been drinking already. Uh, but yes, Kate, okay. what is in your cup? And then tell us a little bit about your Shakespeare background. Sure. It looks like water, but it's a, uh, it's a a pineapple neutral. I've been really into neutrals this summer. So yeah, like a little, a little flavored vodka soda. Yeah. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, So I, I'm an actor. Um, I went to school for musical theater, but in a program that was like very heavily based in, in acting and Stanislavski mm-hmm. and kind of those methods. So mm-hmm. we, we, Shakespeare was a big part of my, uh, of my education. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And always been kind of a, I've, I've rarely had the opportunity to like perform in Shakespeare um, because I mostly do kind of musical theater stuff. If you couldn't tell from the everything about me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, just like a, an avid, avid fan. I love Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. I love kind of like, yeah, diving into the text and uh, yeah, kind of getting in, getting into it. So yeah. Very well, exciting. fantastic. Well, we can't wait to hear yeah. your thoughts on this play. So yeah, why don't we first. kick this off uh, with- Heck, what's talk- in your cup? Yeah. Oh, yeah. good point. Uh, it, has, it hasn't changed in every production we've done, except for Macros when I changed the cup right. because there is a special reason. But normally, as always, it's my silver tankard of water. Love that. 
Oh. Yes. <laughs> exactly. So water and I, we go well together. Is it water or does it look like water? <laughs> it is water. It is water. I got my father's jeans for drinking, meaning I don't drink. Barely <laughs> okay. anything. Uh, but there we go. But yes, we're going to talk about Love's Labors. Once again, as, once again, as we said, directed by John Caird, who for my musical theater fans, if you don't know, he is the co-director of the original production of Les Miserables. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't know that. Yes, you know what? It makes sense, though. He has the charisma to be on a team yes. of Les Mis wonderful. Yes. And he's very good with ensemble casts, as yes. I think this production shows. Yes, yes, yes. he's yeah. very good with the ensemble cast. He, he is a member of the RSC, which is the Royal Shakespeare Company over in London with Trevor Nunn. Uh, they've directed a number of shows over there. Uh, and then this was his first time coming over to Stratford. So he is a wonderful director, and this is his production of Love's Labor's Lost. So, Katie, why don't you start us off tonight with who do you feel was the best performed character of the night? Okay, I have two. I have a couple. Okay. So, um, two that, like, kind of really stood out for me were, well, A, probably my main answer to this question, Boyette, mm, was yes. so great. <laughs> oh, yes. my gosh. And, like... It's funny, so I knew nothing about Love's Labor's Lost at all. Like mm -hmm. I'd never even, I'd never read it, I'd never mm -hmm. seen it. And I, I didn't kind of realize like, I feel like this might be the play where like wordplay is the most prevalent. It yeah, is absolutely. so, so wordplay. And uh, yeah, and I thought that Boyette did a really, really good job of kind of like navigating that wordplay, but also being very self-aware, which is something that I kind of really appreciate in in Shakespeare is when people are kind of aware that the text is poetic and flowery and um, very kind of metaphoric. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and I thought, I thought uh, the actor, so I don't know the actor's name. Which, uh, I think, which John, one was Boyette? John Kirkpatrick was his name. Okay, yeah, yeah. and he, I thought he was, he was probably my favorite for sure with a close <laughs> second from, from the woman who was Lynn. Hmm. Rosalind. Oh, yeah. yes. Rosalind was Sarah Awful. Or yeah, Sarah but Ruby Joy okay. was also incredible. Yeah. 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 Ah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so that, that was your first shout out, and you said you had mm -hmm. others. Uh, uh, oh, or you like, already said the two of them, right? Was, yeah, those are kind yeah. of my two biggest the ones. Two? Um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and then obviously the princess, Ruby Joy, was, yeah, yeah. truly phenomenal. Like, mm -hmm. such a, like, an elegance and a grace and, like, mm -hmm. a, a way of finding, the, my kind of biggest pet peeve in Shakespeare is when the, the speech sounds really pedantic. Yes. And I found that all of them, especially when people play royalty, it kind of, it kind of tends to lend to that. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't think she did that at all. I thought it was, like, very kind of, like, natural and very, yeah, but still giving like the elegance mm -hmm. of like, yeah, she is royalty. She's the princess. So yeah, very like true. Joy as well. Yeah, very good. And her mm -hmm. father was the head coroner in um, CSI New York, Robert Joy. Oh, oh, cool. Fun fact. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the two of them came to Barry, my hometown, to perform the Tempest one wow. summer, where cool. he, he played Prospero and she played um, Miranda. So there we go. Cool. And oh, actual nice. father-daughter Tempest. Yeah. Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it was a wonderful production. Uh, okay, Jill, who is your shout-out of the day? Yeah, so um, ironically, different folks than Katie Ooh. mentioned, but the same umbrella statement. Uh, I feel like everyone on stage, really, the flavor of the speech in their mouths were so enticing. Everyone sort of did their due diligence with yes. this um, very flowery mm -hmm. uh, linguistic piece. So um, mm -hmm. hats off to everyone. However, um, I have about, I have three, one for sure, close mm -hmm. second, and then like an honorable mention. So gotcha. um, 
I believe I'm pronouncing this character correctly, but Costard, our fool. Costard, yeah. Yes. Hands down, in this series, best fool we've seen to date. Because yes. I think he just, he did so many different things. He, he owned the language. Mm-hmm. He made it traditional, but also for a modern audience in the same sense. And then he added his own characteristics. And I, I feel like, again, we can, we can kind of um, cheers to uh, John... Is it Caird? Is that how you say his last name, Mac? Caird? John Caird? Oh. Our director, sorry. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. John Caird, yeah. So um, in his pre-show speech of saying how, you know, the rehearsal process was all about, it's sort of like a chemical reaction of making the actor become mm-hmm. the character and the character become the actor. So I yes. saw that with a bunch of characters. Josu Labukin, if that's how you pronounce his name, that's the fellow who played Costard. He yeah. really hit that home for me. Every time his energy and presence was on stage it just i i was totally enveloped with what was going on um mm-hmm. close second is good old tom rooney coming in with their <laughs> yes. holofernes holofernes i think yeah. Yeah. again i have not studied or or read this shakespeare either so i'm ready about all the characters the names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, in the best possible way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so he, again, he, he, you could just tell too with his experience on the Shakespearean stage too. He just made it so flavorful to his own, mm-hmm. um, his own doing. And yeah. yeah, and then I also have to just give it up to Mike Shera as our Barone. Um, yeah. I actually did his whole speech on love, the one that he kind of just stands in the middle of the stage, delivers near act four, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that as just like a voice and text exercise. We had to choose a classical monologue. I did that in school oh. um, at U of T in Sheridan. And mm-hmm. it was interesting seeing it done in, in mm-hmm. the, the context of the play. And mm-hmm. I think he did such a good job. And he did a really good job of balancing. He was talking about this in the pre-show chat too, of balancing um, the sort of academia that the language presented, but then also keeping the comedy and silliness that his character kind of was and how that was challenging for him. And I I think he kicked Mm -hmm. it out of the park too. So first prize to Custard, second to Helfernes or Helferns and third to Garone. (laughs) Very good. Very good. And we will see Mike Shearer continue his uh, film journey when he appears in Hamlet as Laertes. So we will see him come back again. And he is a wonderful actor who does both uh, Shakespearean. He was wonderful uh, as um, Algernon in An Importance of Being Earnest. Mm -hmm. We saw him as Cornwall in Lear earlier in the series, which was a very different role, but he nailed the book. Absolutely. (laughs) He also played the bumbling uh, constable in Front Page. Uh, mm-hmm. Which once again he he does he plays all the he goes all over the map he's a very versatile chameleon actor chameleon, where he kind of yeah. just he kind of shows that. up in her part and goes oh you're here great yeah. so fun perfect mm-hmm. and then Ryan who do you have as your okay uh, so I I have I something just like a confession I guess to make before I get oh. into this. So like, I just like, and that's, that's the confession. That's it. I just loved everything about it. And that's going to permeate basically all my answers <laughs> that I Great. give in this. Um, mm-hmm. So like when I was planning what I'm going to say for this question, I'm like, oh, this person and this person and this person like mm-hmm. wrote like pretty much the entire cast list. I don't think there was a single weak link in the cast. Mm-hmm. Everyone is fantastic. Um, I, on that long list, had literally all the ones you've named already, you two. Great. <laughs> um, but actually, funny enough, my top, top choice had 
and that was Gabriel Long as Moth. I had him on my list, too. Our wonderful 12-year-old star-making turn here in this performance. So (laughs) Absolutely. Like, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a child actor perform Shakespeare that well in my life. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the most of, like, the very child roles aren't that prominent to begin with or are either played by an older actor when they are. Mm -hmm. But the fact that they got a 12-year-old who could nail it that well, I was so head over moon, like, very impressed. Uh, I had him on my list, too, because I had the same thing where I just went, his understanding of the text and how he made it flow so naturally where he just had it in his bones about how he was going to speak. And then on top of that, the way he held his own with all these bigger name Stratford a- actors, whether it's Juan Caron, who was also on my list because he was very mm-hmm. funny. Uh, but we'll get into him in a minute. But we're going to focus on Gabriel first. But yeah, like he just knew how to play the stage. And that's something as a 12-year-old, when you're playing on a thrust stage, which is something that you're usually not taught until you're in theater school, just because it's not a common stage that we see a lot. But the fact mm-hmm. that he was able to come out every time, hit his marks, say the lines with comedy, mind you, it wasn't robotic. It was no, not at all. as if he was talking like Tom Rooney or Mike Shira or, or Ruby Joy, who had this elegant flow to the language. He had that in spades with them. And I had to go, holy crap, you deserve mm. a, an applause every time you come out because you stole the show. Like he absolutely came out and stole that performance. That's as nice. So as yeah. much as I loved everyone, that is definitely my choice. And I'm glad it wasn't taken. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very true. And then I do have to, and then and then I'll give a shout out to Juan Caron as Don yes. Orando de, 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 de Armado. Armado, yeah. Armado, yeah. Yeah, yeah Armado. Don Armado. Because first of all, having to play a character with an accent can be very tricky, especially when it's done for comedy, because it can become very over the top, ridiculous, mm-hmm. and just, I don't want to say offensive, but just kind of like, that's the shtick of the character and that's all we're going to get from him. But he played it with, yeah. but he was still very genuine with his performance where he believed his love story with this maid. And, and he came in and he, and he just worked well with having a 12 year old scene partner, which some actors may just go, forget it. I'm going to just ignore you and do my thing. And yet he totally connected with Gabriel and he had, and he, and he worked through all the ridiculousness of that character to find the heart of this guy who at the end gets the final lines of the play, mm-hmm. which which as John Kerr pointed out, were very important lines because it's all about going your separate ways and then we'll meet somehow again in, in, in the universe later on. It's one of those great kind of ending monologues. And Walker mm-hmm. played it so sincerely and it was wonderful. Just even in, that, even in that ridiculous Bride of Frankenstein wig that he was wearing. Yeah. It was wonderful. Mm-hmm. So For yeah, sure. there we go. So yeah, I mean, overall the cast, fantastic. John Caird did a wonderful job casting this mm-hmm. show. But let's now get into what were our favorite production design elements of this production. And Jill, you look like you got a gleam in your eye, so why don't you kick us off? <laughs> the costumes. Um, so talking about the women to start us off, I feel like um, all of their accessories and even the, the, sty- the slight subtle changes to their, the style of dresses they were wearing, mm-hmm. um, the colors that, that were affiliated with them really played into their characters. Mm-hmm. Like I loved how Catherine was kind of pink and cutesy bows mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Rosalind had a little bit more of like a grounded green vibe to her. And mm-hmm. then to me, the actress who played our Mariah was like a little ray of sunshine and she had mm-hmm. the gold accents to her. So I really mm-hmm. think the costumes played really well into that. And um, even the shrouds that the women wore, um, you know, they were 
highlighted with the stars and the moon to give mm-hmm. sort of an evening vibe to mm-hmm. um, just breathtaking and lovely. And uh, because there was a lack of set, I think the cautions themselves mm-hmm. were the, just the right amount of spectacle that we needed. Yes. Um, even moths get up near the end when they, before <laughs> they get into the nine, uh, nine, um, nine worthies, I was like, Oh my gosh, like, again, this is just another, elaborate costume that just adds another little spice to what we're watching Mm -hmm. um yeah and then and then talking to boyette and armado's hair like those again (laughs) on the the male side their their hair and makeup on point as well um and doll sorry i have to talk about doll a little bit too because his hair just really played into he had sort of three stooges comedy to me that's that's kind of the vibe i was getting from him Mm -hmm. and then with the hair just kind of added that the bowl cut. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. hat that so, was the same shape as his yes. hair. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so um, even going down to the, the fact that the women were bare-chested, like I know that was a traditional look to have anyways, but then pair mm-hmm. that with their immense agency and sort of they would rule a lot of the scenes. I liked, mm-hmm. you know, seeing a little bit of skin as well. It kind of played mm-hmm. into their... Um, independence and also temp temptress sort of vibes too so yeah yeah i think every the costumes were hands down my favorite design element. very good katie what do you think what's your favorite element of the show yeah i i also agree with jill that the i wrote the costumes in act five scene two holy and i think that was, <laughs> I, think, I think that was like the uh yeah it was when it was it was the second costume of, of the women in the show mm-hmm. um when they're kind of like dressed up for for the kind of like ball i guess is that yeah the evening, yeah, the, the yeah. evening gowns yes yeah they were spectacular and then mm-hmm. the other thing i was i was i don't know if this technically counts as a, like a production design but i thought like the fact that it was all on a thrust stage was really mm-hmm. like the thrust stage itself was really really interesting to me because i i've never seen anything at stratford i'm not i'm not from ontario oh. like I, yeah never i've never looked at any of like i've literally this is my first stratford production i've ever seen okay and um and so the a the intimacy of the space mm-hmm. which i feel like is so kind of honestly kind of necessary for a lot of Shakespeare mm-hmm. because it is so interactive yes. with the with the audience mm-hmm. um yeah and the, and the thrust stage in itself I was like oh the audience must feel like they are a part of the action like they are like you do this, like, you do when you're in the, yeah. when you're in the festival theater for a like a oh, okay. 2,000 1,200 big over a thousand seat uh yeah. balcony theater the thrust it does feel rather small and we're actually on that stage it doesn't feel as big as uh, as you think it is it's, it's a much smaller space but yet they used it really well so yes the thrust stage brilliant by yeah, Tanya Mazayevich oh okay uh, yeah I so thought that was, was feet, like yeah. yeah very cool yeah mm-hmm. yeah well done okay well I'll go into mine because I know Ryan will just praise everything uh <laughs> but that's true but my <laughs> element uh is the music I thought the music of this production was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Like, I, 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 it had that cinematic underscore in moments with the brass and the drums and the lutes. But then on top of that, you also, it also fit the time period of that like Jacobean um, 1700s kind of era of history. And it just kind of filtered its way through as if it was kind of trickling through this foresty glen where a lot of this stuff takes place in it in the fields. And and Shakespeare writes all these beautiful songs in his plays, but a lot of times they're either cut or people don't know what to do with them. But yet this time, John Carey, once again, I guess because of his musical background, 
knew how to do these beautiful musical moments in the, in the play. Like the ending with the cuckoo song was gorgeous. Like, like with yeah. them all. And then the fact it ends with a little bird sound, like a real bird sound at the end. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, John cared, you cheeky man. <laughs> well yeah. done to you. And yeah, Shakespeare, Shakespeare music. A lot of people forget he, how musical he is because that, that was a very courtly thing was you'd do a speech or, or, or you recite something and then you would have some music or a masked dance or whatever at the end of your night. And people forget that. And Shakespeare wrote those in and John Kerry just knew how to do it. And it yeah. sounded great. And so I was so happy at the end in the curtain call when you got to see the band actually come out onto the balcony there and everybody applauded them. Because I was like, you deserve that. You guys did really well with what you were given. So yeah. bravo to the music. Ryan, what is your favorite element? So funny thing, even though mm-hmm. I love absolutely everything about this production, um, mm-hmm. the three things that I wrote down as like, first and possible backups were the three kind of things that were all mentioned oh, but, I, but i have things to add i guess okay. uh, so good. like add away. start starting with the costumes one of my favorite ones in the show was armado's costume with the letters kind of poking out of every single sleeve and like yes and that's just such a great interplay of like the very central prop of the letters and the poems being mm-hmm. integrated directly into the costume and then yes. in the scene where all the men are getting together and mocking each other's poetry mm-hmm. writing yeah. uh longaville also has multiple like letters mm-hmm. sticking out so it's just like what a great little mirror there that through falling in love and writing these letters and poems they're kind of becoming foolish just like our motto is yes. in a way which i thought yeah what a great little piece of visual imagery there for that um the set i had less to say about because it was a very bare stage for the most part but just it they was. used the levels very well mm-hmm. i thought was yes. worth remarking upon and maybe that's more of a blocking note than a set note but Still part of the production. It's it still, is part of the production. Part, uh, yeah. Jill, yeah, you want to add to that? Might I just say too, yeah, because I had a little bit, a note on, on set, sort of playing with the set. It was a close second mm-hmm. for me as well because it really played into the fact, uh, at least how the actors interacted with the set, that like love makes you do silly things. So like mm-hmm. the men, you know, spun around poles when they were like asking about the women <laughs> or yeah. Barone mm-hmm. quite often would stick his head through yeah, the little balcony porthole. Sticking yes. his head in the hole. Yeah, like, and then yeah. even just, yeah, the way the way they use their levels for sure, it played yeah. into the... the yeah, it, and it just goes to show, like Jill, you were saying how there isn't much set, but the costumes mm-hmm. make up for that. Mm-hmm. But even yes. less is sometimes more when it comes to set and you can... Absolutely, really do well with not much, and especially on a thrust stage where where yeah. where we minute you put in blocky set pieces, you now have to consider what that does with the island. We saw that last week with Time of Athens, where they had the clear chairs, as you pointed out, Jill, where because they were clear chairs, you could see through them. And here, because it's even a smaller thrust than the Tom Patterson, where set is once again very limited to what you can do there. So yeah, no, they were yeah. really smart about it. Good point, Ryan. But yeah. like. One other piece of set that is worth remarking mm-hmm. upon is like near the end when we have our like off-brand rude mechanicals play within a play. Yes. Uh, they, they brought on this little like pageant wagon cart and like the costumes yeah. and that whole sequence. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, I thought it was very funny when uh, Holofernes comes on as Judas Maccabeus with the menorah hat. And then yeah. speaking of the music, they're playing this like somewhat bit of a klezmer ditty as he's twirling yeah. around in that like, yeah, it was just, everything yeah. was great about all or, that. or the horse, the little horse, the, yeah, one, the, the, horse. the priest that comes out on, on the horse. And that was so also, funny. The, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Katie, you want to go? No, I was going to jump it. Also, that, that horse scene, it took me a second to hear, but did you guys hear the crickets in the background? Yeah. Yes. I, I did it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so brilliant. Like, because it's like a, it's like a nighttime scene. So yeah. it makes sense that there are 
crickets. But yeah, yeah. but every time he stops speaking, you just hear these crickets. Ryan Tree so played good. that moment so <laughs> yeah. well. I, I'll mention it now, but did you guys catch when his character comes back into the audience after he has his whole stage fright moment? He comes the back in. The audience of the theater? The audience, the audience like, on stage? The audience on stage. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he just sneaks in ever so slightly. And I feel like if, if we weren't, if the, the camera wasn't on him, you might have missed it. But he yeah. just like comes in, he's like, oh, he's like, don't mind me. I'm just joining the audience. I cracked <laughs> up laughing. It was so funny. Oh, that, that moment really just, uh, a lot of laughter in the piece in and that, moments like that. That wow. moment in particular with Nathaniel on his horse, like mm-hmm. it, that is like such a brilliant, I think directing is the best like category to put it under because like they cut several lines of the text of what's actually like going on in that little scene. Mm-hmm. So like to just realize it's funnier and works better if he has this little stage fright moment. It's like one of the few times I don't usually, I'm not usually a big fan of cutting things out of the text because I love the text mm-hmm. so much. But like, I think that was such a great, directorial decision that just mm-hmm. made for such a wonderful moment of meta theater yeah that, yeah um, that's and, wonderful and yeah the, once again the songs were all lovely not just the cuckoo one like i mentioned how i liked the music that was playing in the play mm-hmm. within the play but even like yes. the earlier songs there was one song earlier i think it was like in act two or act three that was with moth and armado and like apple company yes and that's yes. not in the text because i was oh. following along in the text as i often do when i'm just sitting at home watching shakespeare on my computer and mm-hmm. that seems to have been full cloth created for this production wow it's wonderful <laughs> yeah no that moment I, I know exactly what you're talking about where it's kind of like a daytime moth comes in yeah mm-hmm. and jack and yeah. joins them like and Correct. sings with them there's this great little romantic yes. moment between armado and her like it's yes. yeah what, yeah, what no, a show. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I know, right? Oh, this production. <laughs> so, so good. Now, no production is perfect, and I'll kick off this section, because it's not the fault of the production, but I will say the lighting didn't stand out to me this time around, but I think that's more of just where they were in the season, because as Mike Shearer pointed out, this was like the third production some of these actors were doing, and if you don't know at the festival theater, basically what happens is the first round of productions that are going to go up at the festival get first dibs on the lighting, and then the second round, then the third. So by the time you get to being a third round show of the season, you're basically working with any lights that are already preset in right. the, like in the space are working with, and you kind of get to add maybe a few gobos or a light change here there, but you're kind of working with what you got. Okay. So, I mean, for them, like the lights weren't, like the lights just kind of were there. I mean, there was a few gobo moments where you had the leaves kind of filtered through and it was, it was nice, but it wasn't like, ooh, look at the lighting. Like it wasn't like one of those big standout-y I noticed the same thing, and that is what I had pre-planned as the weakest aspect because oh, I well okay. because I liked everything else so much. But my thinking on it is that it doesn't really bother me that the that yeah, the no, light was it, unremarkable yeah. because everything else is so good. Like you don't need to also be absolutely no, like it, yeah, it wasn't distractingly yeah. bad or no. like the presence like no, poor decision making no. within no. it. It just wasn't as showy as everything else, and I exactly. Think it was subtle and did its job to just make sure we could yes. see the actors' faces. It, well, that's, that's that was exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly like, yeah, it wasn't bad by any means. It just wasn't like... But I totally get what you're saying, Mac. It definitely yeah, yeah. wasn't the, yeah. the most elaborate palette that we've seen in yes. this series before. And so... Yeah. 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 Like, Jill, what, what about yeah. you? What, what, what was an element for you? Yeah, I have... Um, as much as I, I like, I was so enthralled with this piece and it's, it's the favorite one I've seen thus mm-hmm. far. Um there were like little moments or little chunks of, of direction that mm-hmm. maybe didn't really sit 
as well with okay. me. Um, and I'm probably going to, everyone is going to have the altering opinion to the series of things I'm going to say. Okay. So, okay. um, uh, I thought that the song at the end for me went on a little too long. The cuckoo um, song or the song yeah, after that? The, the cuckoo song with the very the end. Song. Okay. I've already seen this chemistry that this cast has throughout the whole piece and even mm-hmm. interweaving the A plot and the B plot together. I didn't need there to be that long of a meditation. Right. I, I think I just if you stripped a couple verses from that song, mm-hmm. I would have been happier. To me, it right. just went on a little too. And I think, yeah. which brings me to my second point, and it isn't really to do with the production, but it's the filming of the production. Mm-hmm. I think okay. the way they filmed that piece also threw mm-hmm. me off. It seemed right. a bit cheesy to me, ah, uh, to okay. the way they kind of went in and out. And then right. I'll speak to that as well. Um, some of the filming of this was a bit weird to me. Like I loved being able to see the princess and King's meet cute, but I think mm-hmm. the way that it was filmed, mm-hmm. the scope that we were given being the YouTube audience members, mm-hmm. it was strange for me. Same with at the, the end when the women mm-hmm. are departing from the men. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it was, it seemed rushed. Like I, mm-hmm. I wasn't, I, I wanted to know kind of more or maybe have more of a, um, zoomed out view of them gotcha. leaving as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of weaving through it, it was mm-hmm. creative like it was definitely a filming style I don't think we've seen yet mm-hmm. um but yeah so and especially in it, it just really kind of came out to me near the end because especially mm-hmm. when that French messenger comes in to deliver news of the French king um yeah. I thought that was a really cool scope to start mm-hmm. but then uh, I didn't really like how it was a bit like shifty, shaky. I could get yeah. what it was saying of being like, we're the bearer of bad news. Like mm-hmm. this whole merriment scene is now going to mm-hmm. be broken by the demise I bring you. But yeah. again, it just, it didn't sit extremely well with me. Mm. Um, so that's really nothing to do with the production, just like well, the filming I, quotient I, like of Jill, it. I, I feel like I, for the most part, agree with you on that. Although I won't say it stuck out, stuck out to me as much. There was, however in defense of the cinematography, I guess. Uh, One moment in particular where it was also creative camera work, like you're saying, that I thought worked really well. Mm. And that was in Barone's monologue, the one you were talking about earlier that you performed. The camera really like got up on and swooped around, did some interesting movements Mm -hmm. that really gave this gravitas to that moment that wouldn't have been there in the theater. But I see that as a moment that I completely love in the stage show. That actually catapults me to my next thing. Mm There needed to be, because that monologue to me, it, it sort of encompasses, it's, it's kind of the heartbeat of the piece, to be mm-hmm. honest, um, like the underbelly of, of all, what all these characters are going through or have gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted there to be more of a meditation post Barone's mm-hmm. monologue. Like I wanted to sit with it a little bit more, but I feel the, the men just kind of jumped right in and, and carried on and it worked. It did work. Mm-hmm. It didn't, it wasn't too distracting, but we've mm-hmm. had stuff like this happen in, in the past productions we've discussed in the series too, where um, just the, the switch of, of tone and, and mm-hmm. where the scene's going happens a bit too speedy for mm-hmm. me. Um, so there, there were, and there were a couple moments too, where I think a bit more setback and meditating on, on, the the love of the language and the fact that the language is is talking about love mm-hmm. um so that was a moment that and then um one the my last thing that was just a little bit and it's totally contrast to all of us so apologize i guess but it wasn't that i didn't like his performance I, again was just on the fence of 
could it be played older or could it be played by someone else was Moth. Um, yeah, I just, I know I've seen a lot of Shakespeare productions with a lot like that had a, have a lot of their, um, children company members. And it's not that Mm -hmm. I don't think he did a good job. I just know, um, like uh, other kids that are his age that I think could have done just as well as him as, um, Mm -hmm. and so I don't think he was miscast at all, but I think just the character of Moth itself, um, it's, I kind of wanted to see someone older in it for some reason. Like I know he's supposed to be the young servant to Armado, Mm -hmm. but um, there were just some moments where I did feel the age shift of Mm. the cast that was on stage and him. And, and it wasn't that either or's performances or energy sort of giving and taking was off. It Mm -hmm. just, I don't know. It was just, maybe it was like a chemistry thing for me, but Mm -hmm. um, so if I were to have like a weakest character, I would, I would say Moth, but the character itself and not the actor, if that mm. makes any sense. But Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Fair and enough. That's, Katie? Sorry, that's, that's mine. <laughs> Very good. Katie, what about you? Um, the thing for me that I found, which actually might be a product of the filming or the lighting, so I don't, I don't quite know, but I found, um, uh, I found, I found the, the whole contrast of like the, uh, like the colors of the costume and the color mm. of the set, I found it very kind of like, like brown scale like I found I thought that it wasn't I I wish that there was like something a little bit more vibrant Mm. um and especially too when we have the contrast of like the kind of like the scholarly like academia of Mm -hmm. of the men and then these like beautiful women who come in in these like beautiful dresses Mm -hmm. and like I almost Mm -hmm. wish that it was uh yeah just more contrasting because I especially Mm -hmm. too because I feel like these women are represented of like love which is kind of mm-hmm. like ultimately kind of the foil to like academic ac- academia mm-hmm. or whatever where mm-hmm. I guess we learned it isn't so at the end but like mm-hmm. you know and and I kind of wish that they were they were more brightly colored you know we kind of have these right. like, beautiful like greens and pinks and blues and I just wish that it was yeah that, that, that the costumes like color wise just like popped a little yeah. bit more yeah um yeah, but again, that might be, yeah, again, a, a product of the lighting or of the, the camera work. Could like very well it be, was yeah. in person, too. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the only thing that, that uh, uh, kind of hit me. I was like, oh, this feels all very, like, very bland. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, especially, yeah, with, like, the set and things that was all kind of, like, in kind of, like, brownish, like, tones yeah i found it i found it just a little a bland yeah it would have been yeah. cute to see kate now that you said that um because i do agree with you the brown sort of definitely um accent the academia side that the, the show starts off it, it would have been kind of yeah. cute to see once these women go on stage and obviously they have a heavy impact on the men almost mm-hmm. if they like left behind a prop or did something to the set that kind yeah. of transformed it into, mm-hmm. you know, adding little sprinkles of, of love to the set itself. Like, you know, mm. that, I don't know, that would have been like yeah. a cute. Which is kind of That's interesting because yeah. it's, it's actually like the men who give these individual tokens to the women that they each wear yeah. in the mask yes. scene is what they use to misidentify each one. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's interesting like the, to then propose, oh, well, maybe the women can do the same and give something bright yeah. that sparks the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, why do the men even have these colorful tokens in the first place <laughs> in their, yeah, you know, they, cloistered academic life? <laughs> they leave an impression on them mm-hmm. too, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of, yeah. so it's, mm-hmm. they're kind of the cat- catalyst of that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. Good mm-hmm. point. But yeah, that's what I found. Yeah. Very good. Ryan, is there anything that you found didn't quite work? Or are you well, the thing to again, I am agreeing with you that there could have been more with the lights, but mm-hmm. I do not think it held down the production. I mm-hmm. see the points that the others are making, but again, nothing really like stood out to me as, ooh, I would really change this. I really gonna yeah, for me this one's ten out of ten, but very good. Okay. Well, in that case, Ryan, as our resident TA, yes. as, as, I, as I identify you as many a time, <laughs> you think this production hit the mark, and is it worth a watch by other people? No, I don't think it hit the mark at all. No, of course I think it hit the mark <laughs> after all that phrase. Uh, um, no, okay, so I think a big part of why this one really just clicked for me so much mm-hmm. is because I had never seen a production of this play before. I've read it before, mm-hmm. and on the page, I've never loved this play. I mm-hmm. thought it was like boring. It's a slog. There's, mm-hmm. it's so long and literally nothing happens until the very end. I've never been a fan of this play before. Seeing this production made me love this play. Mm. And it was just so well done. And the cast had like, they found the humor and everything. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was laughing aloud through most mm-hmm. of it. When the chimes of the bells came at the end, I was hit hard by it, even though I knew right. it was coming. And mm-hmm. yeah, like I think this, I, relative to my expectations, because I will admit, being not a big fan of this play, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to watching this one. <laughs> and like, yeah, but then, boy, am I happy to have been proven wrong. And I was so thrilled by it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really think it just, yeah, it hit all the marks for me. I'm very mm-hmm. satisfied with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, framing your question as would I show students this one, I think definitely yes, mm-hmm. especially if it's a class where they're just expected to read uh, the show and not necessarily see it. I would recommend, okay, on the page, sure, maybe you enjoyed it, maybe you don't, but watch this production and tell me, did you still not like it? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Very good. Katie, how about you? Yeah, I I kind of agree with Ryan that like I, I wouldn't read this play. No. I find it a little like to be totally honest, like the play itself, like there's no conflict, you know, like it's yeah. very like, or like it's very minimal until like mm-hmm. the very end and then her father's dead. Like it's like, it's, yeah. it's very yeah. kind of like, like, oh, we're in love and we're, you know, speaking poetically with kind of like mm-hmm. a little bit. So the play itself, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. love to be honest. I'm yeah. kind of like, I like the, I, I appreciate the language and I, mm-hmm. I think that like wordplay wise, like this is like, clearly what it would like Shakespeare's like one of his most kind of infused with his own kind mm-hmm. of like wit and and wordplay yeah. place mm-hmm. um but yeah then again like the production out of, of it is and I mm-hmm. always say this where like Shakespeare is not meant to be read like it's it's funny my, my partner he's always like I don't get Shakespeare and I'm like that's because you've never seen Shakespeare mm-hmm. like it's not it's not meant to be yes. it's not meant to be read it's meant to be it's meant to be um, meant to be seen, you know? So yeah. I think that like after seeing it, it's definitely mm-hmm. more, much more engaging than, than um, yeah, than I think that the, the play is just like book wise. So uh, calling Shakespeare a book, a book. But yeah, so I think like the production itself is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And obviously like yeah. the actors are very, very good and the direction mm-hmm. is great. And 
yeah. the you know the costumes are beautiful and like yeah it's a fun yeah. a fun night at the theater yeah mm-hmm. yes totally. very yeah. good Jill how about yes. you I have written oh yeah um, <laughs> for various reasons um, so I've said this a lot in our previous chats I'm a huge fan of taking Shakespeare and and making it modern or at least mm-hmm. giving it a flair that lends mm-hmm. to a modern audience just mm-hmm. so that you can get as many butts in the seats that will understand what's happening mm-hmm. on stage and you don't have to be an academic you don't have to be literate in Shakespeare mm-hmm. you can like Katie was saying just have a fun night of theater and, and mm-hmm. um, really get something from it even if it's just mm-hmm. a vibe or um, not understanding what every every word is being said on stage mm-hmm. however I do think this company has done a, like I've said before a brilliant job of really making all the colors that are on the page come to life mm-hmm. um, and so I've written yeah I think it's mm-hmm. the most colorful language that we've had so far in this mm-hmm. series you literally could taste some of the words that they were mm-hmm. saying and the brilliant toying um using gesture non-verbal like there were so many non-verbal reactions that were hilarious mm-hmm. that a lot of the b-plot characters would use like a guffaw or a, a, a loving sigh or something mm-hmm. um so not only were we the language itself recited was was beautiful and elaborate but it was the whole, all of the different categories that language encompasses. So nonverbals and music, um, the altering of pitch of, mm-hmm. of the verse that we heard in this piece, gestures. So I think um, when it goes to showing this piece or having people come see this piece, there's so many different elements you can grab mm-hmm. from it, either being an actor or a student or just a person joining or coming to the festival or yeah. wanting to get an introduction to Shakespeare. Um, mm-hmm. I also think this, the B plot that we've had is the best B plot that we've had in this mm-hmm. whole series so far. Um, it, oh, I almost liked it better than the main plot sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And just like the laughter was such a treat and um, mm-hmm. Mike Sharon, and Ruby Joy and John Carradine, they're, pre-show chat we're talking about how um especially with comedy the presence of an audience is so vital and it, it really does add um the relationships between the characters on mm-hmm. stage um and in the theater as a whole mm-hmm. and i think again that really helped take that like traditional language and making it modern like yeah. just some examples i wrote down of, at one point um i forget who he directs it oh i think he's directing it to costard but barone literally says dick and clearly, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's a Shakespearean <laughs> lingo, but but he says it in such a modern way that everyone's mm-hmm. cackling. Um, yeah. The king counting out the iambic pentameter of the of the verse <laughs> that he's writing. Yeah. Or or yeah. Longaville, you know, going off, spitting his verses mm-hmm. and then snapping, you know, because yeah. everyone in the audience can be like snaps for Longaville. So yeah. it's those modern gestures that I think uh, catapulted mm-hmm. this piece into definitely showing to um, and just such a connected company. And again, mm-hmm. going back to John Carrick saying how the rehearsal process, he really wanted it to be like a chemical reaction of how mm-hmm. he wanted to get to know his actors and know how they tick and know their antics mm-hmm. and know their quirks and place that onto the character and then kind mm-hmm. of have that altruistic relationship of actor, character, character, mm-hmm. actor. Yeah. And I think that really showed. And I think that the um, sort of end song being a meditation in that, it, it really the audience mm-hmm. will, will definitely, if they hadn't seen it already, realize that mm-hmm. this piece is, is a really good 
um, company piece and, and an amazing introduction mm -hmm. to Shakespeare. I'm glad, yeah. Katie, this is your first <laughs> one that you've seen. Um, so I have alliteration too for the lack of landscape because we talked about how, you know, it's a bit more of a teared down set and yes. um, lends lots of love to the language. So I really yeah. felt steps, that steps, too. Steps, steps, yeah. So yeah. even though, yeah, this is a wordy piece and there wasn't a lot of mm -hmm. set, I think, I think all the yeah. components sort of accented each other. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. And I also think, again, going back to John Caird, um, he played into a lot of his company strengths. Like mm -hmm. you could tell, you know, like the true comedians, they really were able to kind of press that button or even, mm -hmm. um, the gentleman playing Jumaine, his acrobats were impeccable. And clearly, yeah. you know, yeah. that's a director in rehearsal, you know, either asking, can anyone do this? Or the actor was like, I can do this, this. And it's the classic case of like, be careful what you say in the rehearsal hall. Yeah. <laughs> he just did a really good job mm. of highlighting them as artists yeah. too. Um, yes. So I think that's, that's uh, mm. a great cherry on top of this piece of why mm. I did them too. So beautiful. Yeah. And I will piggyback off all of you and say, mm -hmm. absolutely, this is a great piece to show. Uh, most of it's definitely not one of my favorite Shakespeare plays. I saw this back in, I think, 2008, 2009, in, one of my, in my first year at the Stratford Shakespeare School. And I was a novice of Shakespeare. I remember being bored out of, the, out of my tree watching uh. that version. I don't remember who directed it or who was in it. I just remember being there going, <laughs> nothing is happening. And I've been at rehearsal all day. Now you're expecting me to sit through a three-hour-long play in a nice warm theater. I think a lot of us dozed off that night. Um, but, but this version was so lovely. Like, it was just a great, fun piece of theater. And I have to say, because John Caird commented on how Anthony Chimilino and him really tried to make this a multiracial cast mm -hmm. where it was just, didn't matter, like, what ethnicity you were, it just, like, they were just like, whoever was good for the part gets to do the part. Also, yeah. I think, sorry, Beck, do you want to, oh, don't interrupt. But, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, I'll just say, like, because of that, like, this is one of the other great pieces of Shakespeare to watch, because a lot of times I feel in Shakespeare, I hate to say it, but we do sometimes, uh, as an all-white panel, uh, mm -hmm. pigeonhole ourselves and go, we're, we sometimes put up, put, up, put up our walls a bit against casting different ethnicities and different Shakespearean parts. Mm -hmm. And the fact that John Kerr was like, doesn't matter. As it, it, it doesn't matter if you're Black, white, Asian, whatever. Mm -hmm. If you can do the part, you can do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that really showed here, like race was never a thing that came into my mind. I was just like, okay, this is the version of uh, whoever that we're watching on stage. And that was that, it was, it was wonderful. And it was great. And I think that's why this production should be seen by a lot of people because it shows Shakespeare can be done by anybody. Don't ever let a casting director say, you can't do a part because of your ethnicity mm -hmm. or your race or how you look because you can. It's, it, it's Shakespeare's yeah. that, Shakespeare's beautiful that way. And John mm -hmm. really, highlighted that in this production in a really nice subtle way where it wasn't like bonking over the head with it it was just here's our cast they were really good together they had great chemistry and now watch the show yeah and that was it oh. so yeah ryan you want oh. to add in yeah if i could chime in on that because yeah. i've been usually the voice on these panels who criticizes some of the ways race is handled in these mm. productions and i agree it was very well done uh, in this production. Um, I won't go as far to say that I think it's completely colorblind or that you never think of it. And maybe part of mm -hmm. this is because I was hand, 
like following along in the text in front mm-hmm. of me while reading it. But like, there was a lot of very good deliberate choices I think that were made, mm-hmm. like given the races of and like yeah. you know identities of the certain like. But one of my favorite moments in this entire production was in the scene where the men are all going over their pose with each other and Jill's yeah. talking. You know which one I'm going to talk yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. With Dumaine, yeah. Yeah, the king chimes in about how Barone's use of the word black isn't yeah. very good, and Dumaine just like pauses, raises his eyebrow, and it's just <laughs> such a perfect like hang a lampshade Love on that. that. Again, that's like a, a modern, definitely a modern nod yeah. to yeah. like, of course mm-hmm. that is that line, of course, yeah. yeah. But what you, what you might have missed with that is that if you're following along in the text, in the text, not only do they not acknowledge that, hey, that's a weird thing to say, King, but there's actually like 10 lines after where they all just go back and forth piling on like the the use of the word black and different connotations and meaning mm-hmm. for that that was very tastefully cut immediately yeah. after that moment with Dumaine. Sure. So I think that's like a very perfect like mm-hmm. acknowledgement of the race. Like they had their like great perfect little moment there and okay we can do away with the rest mm-hmm. of this. Speaking yeah. of changes, another moment that I actually wrote down in here that again wouldn't notice at all if you weren't following along, but <laughs> uh it's uh so when the couples are all about to part ways near the mm-hmm. end and uh barone says to rosaline by this soft hand how soft a hand god knows and he does like a funny like pause and rhythm of that line and the audience got right. into it but in the text they don't use the word soft what they is use it? the word white mm-hmm. by this white oh. hand how white god knows mm-hmm. and considering that the actress playing rosaline was not does not have white hands mm-hmm. for lack of a better word i think that was a very like appropriate just simple change yeah. that like i commented in our coriolanus video how there was the one line that when he wipes off his blood and he say you'll see how fair my face is right and that andre sills did a pause on the word fair because it acknowledges right. that but i think they could have done something similar for this but i think mm-hmm. it just worked better to just change yeah. the word simply and do that yeah, and, one and that comes last... from John Caird. That definitely comes yeah. from John mm. Caird knowing his Shakespeare, knowing how yeah. to yeah, adjust he understands, it and cut it appropriately. He understands that the word white there isn't trying to be a race thing, that it's mm-hmm. supposed to be a compliment, so why not yes. replace it with another compliment? Because obviously that shouldn't be a compliment. That... I also yeah. think soft is, it was a wonderful choice too, because it just contrasted um, the way that Rosaline was played in this production. She kind of mm-hmm. had a bit more like hardness, like crass. So it was lovely yeah. here to be like soft in there. Mm-hmm. in their interaction before they parted yeah so yeah we yeah. even like, have noticed yeah. that and but love love that that was changed yeah yes. and one well, last one yeah. that Ooh. i will kind of point out uh mm-hmm. it's from like the very beginning before uh yeah comes in for the first time uh there's a dialogue mm-hmm. between armado and moth and Armado's like building up about the fact that, oh, he's so in love with this woman. <laughs> and they're talking about various mythological figures who've been in right. love. And they get on the subject of Samson and Delilah. And nice. uh, he asks, he inquires about Samson's love's complexion, which oh. is such like an easy thing to miss. But then when you cast a black actress in that role, mm-hmm. suddenly mm-hmm. there's like a whole new way of reading that line and understanding that mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just a class divide that's separating these two characters that needs to be overcome for their love to prevail. Mm-hmm. That there is this ethnic or cultural or racial divide as well that mm-hmm. I they didn't make a big thing about. I think to their credit, it's better that they didn't, but little yeah. certain lines are played very well when you do this type of diverse casting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the show is all the better for it. Yeah, for sure. agreed. 
Perfect. Okay. Well, now let's head into some more play-based questions because we've kind of praised the production very well, but now let's get into some of the fun stuff about this play. So in case any of you don't know, uh, in, uh, in an early folio of Shakespeare's text, there is another play named Love's Labors One, and it is considered by oh, some yeah. scholars to be a lost sequel play to Love's Labors Lost. Now, some people also say it could just be a different title that Shakespeare was working under and, and I have to remember it that way. Uh, who knows? But do we think this play warrants a sequel? Uh, Katie, why don't you kick us off this time? Oh no, I, <laughs> I, okay, no, only because, like, I, 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 I think, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, I think there, I'm not this, this means, I, I think there are other Shakespeare plays that I would rather see sequels to, this yeah. is not, like, the first one that I'm, like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, like, what's gonna happen to mm-hmm. the princess and the king? Like, I, right. yeah, I think, I think I kind of like where it ends. And also, too, I like the end of this play because uh, it's very different from kind of regular Shakespeare comedies. Mm-hmm. Like, no one is, no one's married. No, you yeah. know, I guess one person dies, but it's not kind of like the, like, the, the pinnacle of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and I kind of, I kind of like that the women were left to their own agency. I was kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, I mean, I guess it, it's kind of, uh, 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 stated that they they will be married eventually, mm-hmm. but no, I kind of liked this that they were like, no, you go do your own thing for a little bit, and then we'll kind of mm-hmm. we'll kind of meet up later. And I was like, yeah. I think that that's a good way to end this to mm-hmm. be like, no, they are separate agencies, and then you know maybe we can we can imagine them coming together, you know, mm-hmm. later on or down the future. So I'm I'm gonna say no. I don't know. Ooh, I, yeah, I guess I like that. yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna give a controversial opinion and say no. <laughs> I think that this ends the way that it should end. Yeah. Fair enough. Jill? Yeah. Where yeah, do you stand? So I'm going to say yes, absolutely. But I do agree with what some of the things Katie was saying. Like, it could definitely be left. I do like how there's a different ending. Mm-hmm. The women do yeah. have more agency. So, but mm-hmm. I do think there's many different options that could be taken for a sequel mm-hmm. if they wanted to, especially um, because one hasn't really been done yet. You could make a modern sequel to this. You don't even have to necessarily Ooh. make it originally Shakespearean sort of um, atmosphere too. Ryan's but... wheels are turning. I can see <laughs> it. wheels going already. Uh, well, there is a musical. There's a musical. There's several is there? Yeah. Are, yeah. There's are... a musical of Love's Labor's Lot that's usually done very modern. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. For, yeah, for is yeah. it a sequel like a musical? For love no, no, it's it's, oh, okay. it's the love's labor's lost. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so lovely. So you could go around, use that same vein to kind of jump mm. into the sequel if you need. But yeah, just rolling yeah. back uh, from a plot perspective, I think it would be kind of neat to. I'm always wanting to know more about these characters. I talked yeah. about this in Mackers. Like, I want to know more about the McDuffs. I want to just be a fly on the wall, the mm-hmm. McDuff family. So same thing when you posed this question, Mac, I was like, oh. Because at first I was like, well, yeah. And then when I really thought about it, um, there's so many different things you can do. You could do, um, you know, the time before they meet up after the 12 months, you know, you could have two different lenses. You figure, what, what are the women doing? What are the men doing when they're not together? Um, you know, what story does that tell? Or when yeah. they play the sequel, when they do meet up after that year mark, have people changed? What has happened? Are they still in love? Are the, are the couples intermixed now? Like what, what's, what's the drama? Um, right. You could also, because I was saying this B plot was so strong and 
definitely those were the like the lump of characters I think I wanted to know more about. Mm -hmm. um, you could even do like Jackanetta's baby or something along those <laughs> lines of of you know what happens what happens with them. You know, yeah. um, there was supposed to be a duel that happened between Costard and Armado. Like, Ooh, did yeah. they resolve? You know, did, <laughs> the, like there's little yeah. things that it would be I feel like that one's already resolved by the time we get to the end of this play though they're in a play together like maybe that changes you know they kind of have to be on their best behavior once the French messenger comes but you know yes. there's certainly things that weren't um put to a to a complete mm -hmm. halt so yeah yeah so I just think there's there's definitely room for characters to expand and because this is a comedy I think you definitely have some artistic liberty mm -hmm. of of expanding their their characteristics and and mm -hmm. what their future would be i also think this remind this kind of sparked um an idea too of a potential prequel to this Ooh. as well um you know i want to know a bit more about the the sort of princess of france ladies in waiting like i want to know about their relationship you know how did that come mm -hmm. to be um like uh, the the whole academic side of the men we get that they're their academics, but mm -hmm. you know, what, what brought them to that? You know, the play kind of just starts in, in midair almost, you know, right. and you're, you're immediately in it and you're along for mm -hmm. the ride, but there's, there's, there is wonderful little pockets of, yeah. um, wanting to know more either before mm -hmm. or after. So yeah. yes. And maybe a prequel. Mm, very good. Okay. Uh, Ryan, how about you? All right. I have to agree with Katie that I don't think this play warrants a sequel. Ooh. Sorry, Jill. I do think I definitely see where <laughs> okay. you're coming from, Jill. Warrants. He like purposely <laughs> emphasized. No, warrants. I will say I, I can definitely see the room for a sequel. And if one mm -hmm. was in fact written, I like have no questions that it probably would have been interesting. And like, mm -hmm. there's certainly like, because it is technically a cliffhanger ending, like I wouldn't be surprised why. Mm -hmm. Like you often hear things about just like the, you know, supply and demand of the Elizabethan theater market where mm -hmm. like, you know, there's a very conjectural theory that the only reason why Shakespeare wrote Mary Wives of Windsor is because Queen Elizabeth loved Falstaff and wanted to see what would happen if he fell in love. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I, I wouldn't be surprised like if, oh man, the audience really loves these characters and you left them yeah. on such a cliffhanger, Shakespeare write another one. And he's like, well, if that'll pay for another season at the Globe and then I could write the Hamlet that I really want. Like, <laughs> um, but what I think my reason for saying no is because I think that actually would defeat the purpose of what makes this play so good. And I, as I mentioned before, I didn't think this play was good until watching this Right. production but now I, I'm completely on board this is a great play mm -hmm. and I mm -hmm. think it would really defeat the purpose to find out what happens next with these characters mm -hmm. and I'll just walk you through my thought process here okay. because Katie you're right when you mentioned earlier that this is a play with like no conflict nothing happens throughout mm -hmm. most of it and mm -hmm. like that yeah, I, I agree and that was why for the longest time I didn't really enjoy it and what really like stuck to me like certainly reading it, but even more so watching this, is there's so many very quickly diffused setups for conflicts throughout. There's like the fact that the men have their oath and oh no, they're in love. This is going to be a big conflict that they have to, you know, grapple with. Do we keep our oath? But like, no, not really a conflict. They just break their oath and it's fine. And, <laughs> and like the fact that like these four ladies show up to the four men, they all immediately fall in love with one of them. There's no overlap between any of them, like no yeah. conflict or disagreement there. And then there's the whole thing with Costar mixing up the two letters and you think, oh, I know how comedies work. This is going to 
lead to some much ado about nothing type of uh, <laughs> confusion. But this is a play much ado about nothing minus the much ado part. It's just nothing. <laughs> they quickly realize, oh, this letter was meant for this person. This letter was meant for this person. And it doesn't actually turn into a conflict at all. And then near the end, the ladies do their whole like trickery where they're going to put on the masks and then the whole yeah. Russian mask thing. <laughs> and like, you think, okay, is this going to be where the conflict finally happens? And it doesn't. And they're just, haha, we had a good laugh with you. And then we, they watch their, like I said, the off-brand version of mm -hmm. the Rude Mechanicals from its summer. And then... Yeah. So you feel like the play's gotta be over soon, but literally nothing has been a conflict, and then <laughs> chime, chime, chime. Oh no, the conflict is at the very end. And I think yes. dramaturgically yeah. what's happening here is this whole play is an elongated first act of a more traditional comedy. Mm -hmm. That the inciting incident that would put a wedge between the lovers and set a, set in motion the entire, okay, this is what we need to overcome to get to the mm -hmm. prescribed happy ending, as is the way of mm -hmm. comedy is very much not given to us. And the, I think the whole point of writing an entire play of that pre-inciting incident is like somewhat of an experiment to dramaturgically see, can that be a whole play? And can a comedy have an unhappy ending? And like, mm -hmm. obviously tragic comedies are a lot more popular now than they were in Shakespeare's day. Like Eric Bentley mm -hmm. famously defined tragic comedy is just a comedy with a unhappy ending. And like, I think it's maybe a little mm -hmm. melodramatic to call this a tragedy, like, or tragic even. Like Aristotle would have conniptions if he heard us using that language. But I think, to me, demanding a sequel to this play as mm -hmm. perhaps was the case back in early modern England is like demanding a sequel to Once or Blue Valentine or any love story <laughs> that doesn't end happily because that's not the point yeah. of this journey mm -hmm. we're supposed to. And I get that it is a cliffhanger because the couples are still in love but are forced to part. But mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that I necessarily need to see what happens. It might be mm -hmm. a great or no. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm very satisfied with the play we're given here. And it almost kind of reminds me a bit of like an R&J or an Othello plays that start mm -hmm. off with the comic framing and then take very tragic turns very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, like both of those plays are frequently described as the setup of a comedy just to have that like ruffle of, oh no, now it's tragic. This mm -hmm. is just like a lighter diet version of that. Mm -hmm. I'm here for Fair it. Enough. Fair enough. I will have to agree with Joe though. I think this play does get it, does not warrant a sequel, but it leaves itself most available for a sequel. Like all Shakespeare's plays and very much with the button at the end and it's like, whether it's a Midsummer or, or, um, or, or, or any of the other comedies, there's very much kind of like that ending where it's like, okay, great. That story is being seen at five acts. We've told the story. We're good here because you're right. Nothing really happens. Like we need like a Don John from much ado to show mm -hmm. up in this play and start messing with the couples. And that's what you could do for a sequel. Like I think this play Shakespeare wrote, cause it's like this woman's earlier plays in his canon mm -hmm. when he was writing that you know, it's very much like a young writer leaving himself open to doing a sequel follow-up play because why not? I mean, these characters, there's so many places you could go. Like the Talk about dramaturgy. So That'd be a dramaturgy's heyday. You know, you have so <laughs> many different plot points or, or yeah, like relationships so many ways. Kind of go off. So yeah, I think I, I think I think this play does leave itself open for a sequel, and I think it's one where you kind of go in a lot of different directions with the characters, give them some conflict that they actually have to work through. Because this was a great setup play where it's like, okay, great, now we know who these characters are, and they set up a great premise that they got to wait another year 
to for everybody to kind of get back on track with each other and then it's like okay well where do they go like there's so many great areas it's not it's almost like the ending of 12th where it's like i want to see what happens with, with like malvolio's revenge like i want to have that kind of next part follow-up like she mm-hmm. wrote some really great cliffhangery moments in his plays where it's like i want to see what happens next and this is i will add to that mech while i do agree that it could make for a very interesting play and i'm not even going to say but still they shouldn't but <laughs> i think if they do and i don't know who this is they i'm talking about is shakespeare <laughs> I, I don't know but like it's you but, ryan you're gonna write the sequel. Sure. i don't think they're i, I don't think who they is. <laughs> i don't my my big thought is I don't think there should be a Don John type messing things up. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that we got through this whole first play with like no villain and no like mm-hmm. conflict with a character. Like I think like Jill was saying, we can have some great drama of just these are different people now after this. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's just like fun funziness. You know, mm-hmm. it would be like yeah. super farcical and like funny. Mm-hmm. That's what because I do love the way that this piece just sits at the end, mm-hmm. and it does kind of. Mm-hmm that stark switch of, of like, wake up. Mm-hmm. Now we've co- kind of spiraled down into tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. But it would just be almost, almost like a one act, even mm-hmm. yeah. just a, a one act farce of, of these characters, <laughs> also, you know? Also something else that I think is so interesting about the end of this play is that mm-hmm. the thing that comes in at the end that finally puts an end to their merriment as, or interrupts their merriment as the princess puts it, it has nothing to do like with anything done with the characters. It's just mm-hmm. her father's dead. It very much feels like a deus ex machina, but yeah. a, a Thanatos ex machina, if you will, because <laughs> it is this, this death comes from outside and like, mm-hmm. contrary to being the thing that usually ends comedy is like, yay, something came and save us. Now the lovers mm-hmm. can get together. It is the perfect anti deus ex machina for the anti comedy. And that's what this play just is. And I think that's why I'd be very happy to leave it as it is. So I won't be the one to write the sequel, I guess is a long way of saying that. Mac, it looks like it's up to you and I. Oh, great. Here we go. I'll I'll add it to my writing list of things, of of ideas and thoughts. Perfect. Okay. All right. Next question for us is, do we feel these characters are richly drawn or... Or, or does Shakespeare kind of rely really heavily on stereotypes for like male and females, uh, um, Spaniards, Frenchmen, all that type of stuff? I, I, do we feel these characters actually have some depth to them? Or they kind of just, eh, Katie, I see, I, I, see, I, see, I see you got an idea already forming. Go. Well, I was going to say, I mean, obviously the, the, the Spaniard is like very mm-hmm. stereotypy, like mm-hmm. super stereotypy. <laughs> um, yeah, which is yeah. like... You know, and even to the fact where he's like, you know, he's the one who's in love, like desperately, Mm -hmm. he kind of like represents love in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, which is like, yeah, I think that he's obviously like, like a pretty heavy stereotype. Mm -hmm. Um, But all the other characters, honestly, like, I don't, uh, and, and, but Shakespeare kind of always has a way of like, with his like, uh, characters who are women, making them, I feel like a little bit more, um, uh, 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 stronger, for lack of a yeah. better word, than like mm-hmm. in, or than uh, a lot of lovers kind of written uh, who are mm-hmm. who are women. Um, yeah. So I think that those ones were definitely not as stereotyped. Like especially like the mm-hmm. princess, who is clearly very like intelligent and mm-hmm. very um, you know has kind of control over her, you know, over her kingdom, I guess. And yeah, uh, yeah. and even the the men weren't so stereotypy because they're you know they're they're 
falling in love, which is not mm -hmm. a like, you know, a stereotypically like masculine thing that we talk yeah. about. So I think for me, it was definitely like the, like the more kind of like fool characters mm -hmm. were definitely more stereotypy, whereas like the, mm -hmm. the lovers and, and the, the leading players were, uh, yeah. were, yeah, actually not as stereotypy as I, as I thought. Mm -hmm. Ryan, what do yeah. you think? Uh, I, I see both sides of this one, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. On one hand, Katie, like you said, yeah, I think they are like more richly drawn than we might initially give them credit for. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, they are very cartoonish, <laughs> but I don't think that's a problem or I don't mm -hmm. see that as a fault in the play. I think that is mm -hmm. very much, I, I get a lot of comedia vibes from this, but I think mm -hmm. Shakespeare was maybe trying to write like a standard comedian and then, oops, they're all Ar Arlecchino. Right. <laughs> and like that kind of, and like it works, like their banter is all very funny. It, yeah. Like they bounce off each other very well. And sometimes you could just have a real cartoonish running around, mm -hmm. but then there are still the depths and layers too. And yeah. the female characters in particular, I think Kate mm -hmm. and Mariah, are just like there's not enough to them to maybe the mm. princess and Rosaline definitely mm. get to because they have like the two more prominent suitors and get to be in the yes. more more of the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So I'd maybe like mm. to see more from those characters who just fall into the background. But mm. I and I won't say the same about Dumaine and Longaville. So it almost seems like a shame that these two female characters don't even get to be as prominent as their mm. lovers. I kind of disagree with that because again, Ooh, I think job. it goes to John Caird's direction and each of those women, in my opinion, were very much their own woman. In this production, yes. yes. I would yeah. agree. Not okay. the in the text, which I thought is what we were referring to right now. Right. Yeah. My <laughs> whole thing kind of mm -hmm. talks about the text a little bit, but I guess mm -hmm. more of with, without reading it and just watching this production in particular, mm -hmm. 1000% these characters are which richly drawn and I think yes. yeah mm -hmm. and and yeah I didn't read it as I watched as Brian did um so and probably I've read it before so I'm yeah, sorry if I'm making the, it too texty now <laughs> the women of course yeah I don't I think without the you know Kate buried in a book and Mariah's mm -hmm. sort of exuberant energy and like mm -hmm. I mentioned before ray of sunshine personality mm -hmm. uh without the, that actor choice placated onto the character for sure. I don't think we would be given the same uh, opportunity to kind of have access mm -hmm. to those characters. Um, so, sorry, Ryan, I kind of took the torch from you. Are you no, okay if I keep going on my- I, I was basically finished, go ahead. <laughs> Lovely. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think the production wise, so again, directorially, John Carrot did a beautiful job of making sure that every actor uh, was, putting a, most of themselves as mm -hmm. the character, as opposed to the character dictating. Um, you know, it's not like a, a Juliet or, or um, like any, or a Mackers where, you know, mm -hmm. this is sort of the, the prescription of the character and now you go mm -hmm. ahead and you, you do that character. Mm -hmm. it, the, these, I, I, it, was, it was the other way around. You could really tell mm -hmm. that it was like, kind of more from a, a film, approach to this mm -hmm. piece uh where it's like you are you just and then you you're playing this character for the first time kind of thing mm -hmm. you know um yeah and Kerr so, said something like that in the pre -show yeah. interview how like because he's never worked with any of these stratford's actors yep. before mm -hmm. being the guest director that he had to really find the ways to let them 
the characters yeah. become them, which I thought I don't didn't write. And, down and you said it in such a such a visceral way to like mm -hmm. saying how it's like a chemical reaction. I mentioned it mm -hmm. earlier in the chat, um, mm -hmm. and how is the mixture of of that that sort of created the formula of of what you mm -hmm. see on stage, which I thought oh was just beautifully said. Um, yeah, so I also think that um, Ruby was talking about this in the pre-chat and how um, this play is is almost like one of the more prominent feminist pieces um, mm. for Shakespeare too. And mm. I think in this stage production too, like we kind of, we kind of talked about this already too, but how the women, uh, again, this goes with the direction and the staging, but when they're speaking or when they're tempting it, they always seem to have the upper hand mm -hmm. um you know the whole image of the princess stalking back and forth while the king was pleading something to her i can't remember exactly when it was mm -hmm. but there definitely was um that i think it alone kind of broke stereotype for me mm -hmm. too um just the way that the characters carried themselves mm -hmm. um yeah, so that was just a little thing fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough, and I will piggyback on all you once once again. Mm -hmm. And I have and I have to say, yeah, I think the, I, I remember going into going into this because once again I had read it and I remember seeing it as Stratford years ago and being like, oh, this, these characters don't really stand out. They're not all that interesting to me. They, they I thought I thought they would rely more on stereotypes, but I was like, oh, surprisingly, even he, uh, Juan Caronas the Spaniard, he actually still, even though he had that accent going, he still gave his character some depth to him now mind you text wise it, shakespeare did rely on some some, some stereotypical concepts that we have of, of of the spaniard in love but i think overall these characters are really well drawn like like the like the men aren't just kind of guffawing brutes they are actual scholars like they are giving brains that make them question and and, and think things through and the women really they're, the, they're they're smarter than the men and shakespeare yeah. Once again, it gives a great kind of ode to women in this, where you go, where this came after Taming of the Shrew, as mm -hmm. like John Carrey and Ruby Joy point out, where it's almost kind of like a, a like a makeup for like, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, ladies, after Taming of the Shrew, here's a piece yeah. where like you guys are really kind of in the driver's seat, driving this plot forward. I remember Ruby saying too in that chat, it was the first Shakespeare where like women kind of have a moral advantage yes. over men. And I like the way she phrased that because yeah. definitely she said too, like women have to give off a sense of diplomat and emotions, mm -hmm. which yes. usually we kind of see one or the other in a lot yes. of this other work. So mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's exactly like, because it's such an early Shakespeare, you can see like, I, I guess uh, Mike Shear pointed out, there's a lot of different elements of like um, Laertes in, um, uh, uh, in Midsummer, or a little bit of Hamlet that kind of mm -hmm. prop, crops up a little bit in there throughout. So I, I like how these this play, because it's so early, kind of gives you a sprinkling of, don't forget, down the road, Shakespeare's going to write all these other great kind of well-thought-out characters. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like his first step into, mm -hmm. that, into, that, into that pond of writing really good, complex, not just your generic characters. So yeah, I do think this play get, has characters that need, need a much more consideration than what we give them in the Shakespeare canon of of male and female characters, because I do think there's some good ones in there that we can prop up a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so last question uh, is, would this uh, play work with a gender flipped or non-binary version? Uh, Jill, let's start with you this time. Yeah, so I have, have just a straight out yes. Um, okay. And I think it could go work on multiple levels as well. Mm -hmm. I think if we were to just talk about the main players and sort mm -hmm. of the A plot, um, I think the four men and the four women mm -hmm. can be interchangeable via sex, 
via mm-hmm. sexual orientation. I think you could go as far as every couple could have a different orientation or mm-hmm. um, be like a member of the LGBTQ community. Right. It, it, there's, there's so much, I think. And I, I think, yes, like do, the texts do say us like men or, or mentioned ladies. But I think mm-hmm. like we've seen in this production too, um, in regards to sort of altering the text a little bit from, mm-hmm. from a racial point of view, I think you mm-hmm. can do it from, from a gender point of view as well. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think that, you know, opening our brains up to this question, it, it would have been interesting to see this sort of extra layer played to this production mm-hmm. as well, or a production just as um, this caliber, um, mm-hmm. but done again. Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely, I, I think it'd be very interesting. And again, because we've mm-hmm. talked about how this this play has a lot of space for breathing, like in regards mm-hmm. to character work, in mm-hmm. regards to staging, um, you know, you could even have little, in the transition of scenes, you could have more um, couple interaction or character mm-hmm. interaction to sort of unveil a bit more, um, mm-hmm orientation or identity mm-hmm. of a said character too you know right. so i think this this to me is a perfect piece to kind of amalgamate into uh so many different um slots of identity for humanity mm-hmm. and uh i think if i see it again i would definitely prefer to see um a wider spectrum on that front fair enough mm-hmm. ryan how about you what are your thoughts so to me this seems like two separate questions almost and i will answer it as such okay because um, a gender flipped version of the performance and a non-binary one are not necessarily the same thing mm-hmm. um Absolutely. so i guess i would start with the gender flipped i'd say i don't see why not you certainly mm-hmm. can but i'm struggling to think of to what end because mm-hmm. as we were just discussing, the, the female characters are very strong and prominent here. Mm-hmm. So if we were to maybe do something like, oh, the, the males are all played by females and the females are all played by males, I wonder what that would do for this play. And mm-hmm. like it would almost put the female performers in these like buffoonish men roles and the female mm-hmm. characters played by the men suddenly get that moral high ground that is usually afforded to the male characters anyway. I, but not I don't think you could do that actually. I think yeah. you would, yeah, it, I, I agree with that. I, mm-hmm. I think you, you would have to give, if you were to mm-hmm. switch anything, um, like you definitely couldn't flip flop. You could yes, have like four have women as the men and four, you need to give more identity, I think, to each mm-hmm. each character. And, and yeah. so I agree with you in that. In that yeah, way. like I think there are ways that it could be done. Mm-hmm. I just think it really, it couldn't just be in my mind, hey, let's just do a gender flip love labor's loss. Like mm-hmm. you really have to think about what am I trying to say with this and which yes. characters, mm-hmm. if the flip will say that, I think mm-hmm. perhaps like, and I'm sure this has been done, but the gay or lesbian versions where just the couples are all the same gender could certainly yep. work. Mm-hmm. And like mm-hmm. that would be, I think, a more interesting take than just switching mm-hmm. the two groups. Mm-hmm. But uh, to then get to the other half of the question, um, would this work with non-binary performers? And I think my, my it's just unequivocally, yes, let's get more gender non-conforming people into mm-hmm. the arts and make more space for that. And I think mm-hmm. it it is almost easier to do so than a more deliberate flip within the gender binary because mm-hmm. you could theoretically put them in any possible role and just yeah. get more of that representation in there. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. see no downside to that. 
and Fair it wouldn't enough. even have to be to make a statement on ooh, what even is gender in this very gender mm -hmm. rigid play it could just be mm -hmm. no because these are talented performers who we would like to see in this production yeah exactly. what's great about too just to kind of add to that is i feel because this <laughs> this play is based on language it's sort of like love equals language language equals love i've mentioned this kind of before mm -hmm. there's there's really no um moments in the play that that are are uh, very physicalized or very mm -hmm. visceral, nor there there does not need to be. That's part of what mm -hmm. makes this piece so beautiful. What about beautiful. the backflips? <laughs> well, okay, I mean like intertwining, you know, there's no Lady M and Mackers macking mm -hmm. on each other post, you know, yeah. apart from, you know. Um, so again, mm -hmm. I think it's just a wonderful breathing space of mm -hmm. just exploring love and love mm -hmm. itself. And I think in that Barone monologue too, that encompasses mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's no promiscuity to that. Mm -hmm. There's no, um, you know, narrow view minded, like this mm -hmm. is who I'm talking to. Like, mm -hmm. of course it's semi rooted in Rosalind, yes. but what I really liked about these characters too, is that, um, their love for each other was never, uh, you know, overwhelming or, you know, I guess in a way linguistically sure, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was just lovely. Their love was lovely. There you go. There was there no go. rigorousness needed yes. for it. Yeah, at the core, I think this play is just about how fun it is to be in love. Yeah. At least until we get to that yeah. last somber note at the end. Yes. And so, like, you can do that with, like, any configuration for of sure. yeah. straight, gay, etc., etc. Yeah. So it just works. Sorry, Katie, love yeah. is love. Yeah. Katie, what say if you? Yeah, I told Jill I was going to talk about this. My, <laughs> so my thing with Shakespeare always is there's no women. There's none. Even in this play that like, you know, for a lot of like, even the, in this play that had four very, very strong female characters, there mm -hmm. were four women in the whole show, you know, mm -hmm. and like, and to not even talking about about non-binary people who are like so un like zero representation maybe not zero i won't say it's, I, don't, I don't know i haven't read not enough never read, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's 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 no representation you know mm -hmm. and and so i would love to see i want to see an all-female production of this yeah. show mm -hmm. you know why not or, or all non non-male production of the show because mm -hmm. like there's there's no reason that it can't be right and i think mm -hmm. that there are just so many people who mm -hmm. feel so underrepresented in mm -hmm. Shakespeare, be they, mm -hmm. be they uh, women, be they uh, non-binary, be they the, mm -hmm. our whole LGBTQ plus community, be they people mm -hmm. of color, be mm -hmm. they like, mm -hmm. the more people we can get represented on a Shakespeare stage, I think the better, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that goes for kind mm -hmm. of, this is, sorry, this is kind of a broader topic than just gender bending, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's kind of, that's always gonna be my answer for like, mm -hmm. can we use more people who are underrepresented in, in Shakespeare and like, of yeah. course, like yes. these are stories about, yeah, yeah, about love, about like, they're so universal that mm -hmm. there's just no reason that we, we can't, we can't represent those, yeah. those communities. And especially now it's so, mm -hmm. it's just so important. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, yeah. So I guess that's my kind of feeling. So yeah, I want to, I want to see it totally blown up gender wise mm -hmm. like let's yes. let's get, you know, totally unconventional, you know, and the thing is mm -hmm. too, that I saw about this production, I was like, why don't we have like a female doll or a female, you know, like there's mm -hmm. so many roles that could be yes. so easily mm -hmm. um, gender swapped that, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I just, I think it's a service to all of us to, to really make the effort to, to make sure that, yeah, that underrepresented communities yeah. are represented on a Shakespeare stage. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that this could be gender. Yeah. 
all over the place. Just beautiful. Just throw, yeah, everyone in there. Yeah. Love yeah, it. more female fools. Now that you've said that, I would love to <laughs> really? play a female fool. You know, <laughs> that's another thing too. Just yeah. speaking, like as a woman in theater, I think there's still this overwhelming at the back of your mind. You kind of need to have a bit of etiquette, even if mm -hmm. you are playing a super comedic clownish character you're still a woman. And I, I think we need to break that a little bit, you know, that you can be wild and crazy and kooky mm -hmm. on stage, you know, just being, being a woman. Um, yeah. And so a hundred percent, I, I would, I would definitely play dull or, or costar. To me, yeah. those are the best characters to play. <laughs> I saw yeah. a production of Tempest where the two fools in, what are their names? Yeah. We're, we're both women and it was, Right. Yeah. Like they just, like, it was yeah. just so good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wrote in my notes, you definitely can do this play non-gender, gender flipped if you wanted to. Uh, you, you just have to make sure, like, once again, that, that, that you're doing it properly, adjusting the text, doing your dramaturgical due diligence. I also think you want to make sure that if you are going to do that, you're going to make sure audiences don't come away trying to guess what you were trying to say. Yeah. Because nowadays audiences love to read into like, well, why was that character gender swap? What are they trying to say? As theater people, we do that a lot. So I, I think you just got to be cognizant of doing that because if you are going to swap it, then just do your due diligence there. And I also think one of the things we do have to adjust with our theater culture is if we are going to do these swaps, is that, is that it doesn't become a marketing ploy. Where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, you gotta come yeah. see Love's yep. Labor's Lost with, with, with a, where it's bisexual couples or, or, or trans or mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Like John Kerr was very smart where he didn't advertise that, oh, this is a mixed race yeah. um, production. Like this was just a production of Love's Labor's and the fact that the only person you ever saw on the poster was Mike Shira writing his note and that was it. Like yeah. it, it was a nice surprise where the audience just, just didn't come in with a pre- thought of notion where it's like oh i'm going in because of this and this is now a marketing ploy i do I think, think yeah. however people mm -hmm. expect just colorblind casting from stratford that is part mm -hmm. of the brand even mm -hmm. if like so while it wasn't advertised as a reason to see this show it is mm -hmm. just part of the stratford culture that i think people would be very surprised if there was just an all-white production on a stratford stage those do <laughs> exist yeah. uh, mm -hmm. I, I, still <laughs> well i think too like i've learned mm -hmm. a lot about recently like in the last like week or so between mm -hmm. performative allyship and like actually doing mm -hmm. something to mm -hmm. to help and i think that mm -hmm. yeah if you're if you're if you're casting like you know uh uh you know gender swapping or swapping mm -hmm. or whatever and mm -hmm. and making it this like oh look at how good we're doing yeah. you know mm -hmm. look at it then that is obviously such a problem because it's yes. so performative exactly. yeah so i totally get what you're saying mm -hmm. yeah. we're like yeah it shouldn't be a marketing tool it should exactly. just be how it is right exactly yeah. and that's my worry is, is that somebody would do it uh, as a marketing tool and i'm like well, yeah. that, well, well, well now you're not doing it right like the whole thing yeah. is that shakespeare yeah. is is a very open piece of piece of text where you can swap in certain characters and genders or things like that. sometimes some characters don't lend to that like there are some characters that are either very masculine or very feminine and like you have to kind of work with that but other times there are these plays that lend yourself to this wide array of different things like i would love to see a female fool like i was thinking that yeah. now I, 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 yeah. I was like bring on more of that like i would love to see somebody do that or, or like keep swapping like keep playing yeah. with it because shakespeare lends itself to being a really well played with piece of text where you can kind of deep dive in and that's why shakespeare keeps getting done in the world because yeah. 
he isn't a very open piece of text where you can have some fun in there. Sometimes it works, sometimes the director just doesn't know exactly how to execute it and doesn't quite work, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't stop trying if something doesn't work the first time because I think yeah. there's lots of opportunities there. To yeah. not overstate the obvious, like all mm -hmm. of these characters were played by men and boys originally, so we're already doing, like Bridget talked yes. about yeah. this in the Knackers yeah. episode, yeah. Uh, like it's already a bit of gender tampering to even just yes. have women on stage mm -hmm. playing these roles, so why yeah. can't we take that further? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Like I think Moth would be, could be a very easily be played by, by, by a young female oh, actress. 100%. Oh, and you know what's yeah. funny too is it, that could almost be a second fool character if it Absolutely. was female. Because she, yeah. you know, she's, she's, she's you smart. can have a side plot of, of maybe yes. she has a crush on Armada, you know, maybe she's not as young <laughs> as this Moth yeah. was. Um, yeah. it, the whole scene where she's messing up, um, or she, I'm saying she, where Moth is messing up, mm -hmm. um, when the, the men are, are masked and they're playing right. the fights and, and that could just be so funny, you know, yes. from a female's perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. The whole thing about Jack and Etta, especially if she did have a crush on Armada, kind of right. like playing devil's advocate there, of like, you, yeah. you know, yeah. with the whole riddle sequence, like they would mm -hmm. just be so cool to unpack. Yeah. 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 For, so for sure. And I think, yeah, overall, this play is one of those really neat kind of plays that leave leaves a door very wide open for mm -hmm. interpretations. I think that's why it needs to be done more is because it's a play that lends itself to mm -hmm. doing that. Meanwhile, well, Mackers, maybe not so much. Mackers is a very straightforward, very well set play. This is one because it's so mm -hmm. open. It's like, go ahead and have fun with it. This, this, this is one of your fun Shakespeare's. You can kind of can dive in and play, and play in that sandbox a bit. But yeah, wonderful. Jill, <laughs> where can people find you if, if they want to look you up? Yeah, so um, you can find me on Instagram. My artist account is Jillian.Robinson96. Mm -hmm. And I dabble in musicals and singing and mm -hmm. post fun other things. You'll find me there too. So, yeah. Very <laughs> good. Wonderful. Katie, where can people find you? Um, on Instagram, I am at Mercier Miller, which is my middle name. So it's M-E-R-C-I-E-R -E mm -hmm. Miller. Very <laughs> yeah, good. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. And then Ryan, I know people can't you find you answer. on social. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I've learned it by now. We, we can't find you, but please go follow Cup of Hemlock That's, at yes, all social media platforms instead. Yeah. Send the love to them. We're doing there's a lot of great stuff coming up between our cup episodes. We have a new series we just launched today, which is uh, Cup today of Hemlock when we're proudly filming, presents. Not today when yes. you watch this. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I, yes. no, by the time you're watching this, we will we will we will be advertising for our next published reading. But yes. Which we've already started advertising in the last couple episodes, so there's no need to be secretive about it. It's very uh, true. We are doing a polished reading of Ibsen's Ghosts, and there maybe mm -hmm. we'll see some familiar faces from this show yes. in that. Um, also, but yes, check out our Merchant of Venice, which we did less polishedly, but yep. that is currently posted on this very YouTube channel where you're watching this. Yep. And you'll see... Well, yeah, <laughs> there you go. I love it. Okay, and then all, well, I'm sorry, you can find me at all social media platforms at Mackenzie Horner. Check out my podcast, Before the Downbeat Musical Podcast. We just released uh, part one of our uh, musical Oliver exploration, and by the time this comes out, part two will be out as well. So do check those out. Lots of great stuff coming out on that front as well. But other than that, we'll see you all next time where we'll, we will be talking about, if I'm not mistaken, we are going into Denmark? 
we, yes, we are. are something maybe rotten in that state. Exactly. I got to say that line when I played Rosencrantz. Fun fact. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, next time we were talking about Shakespeare's most produced, I want to say almost most popular play of his canon, the, 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 man, the man with the skull himself, alas, poor York. We are going into the realm of Hamlet. So be sure to tune in for that in the next episode. And then we have a whole bunch of other great things lined up. We have King John coming up. Pericles will be covering the newly released Othello and Merry Wives of Windsor later on. And then after we're done with our Shakespeare stuff, who knows where we're going? I know NT Live has a whole bunch of great bit of theater they are producing. So we may have to go mm-hmm. to that realm next. But for now, uh, have a great week, everybody. Stay healthy. Stay safe. Raise a glass to all of you. Oh my goodness. Cheers. Cheers. Very good. And we'll see you all next week uh, with Hamlet. Thanks, everybody, so much. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.